for our first guest this week, I want to take the opportunity to share with you two articles I read this past year. And now that the off season's here, it gives me a chance to sit back and reflect on some of the things I learned throughout the course of the year. The first article is an article written by Michael Lombardi of The Ringer. He's a former general manager in the NFL. He's very tied into the Patriots. I think he worked for Bill Belichick at one point. And he wrote an article on how do you beat the Patriots. And there were two or three different things in the article. But the one thing that stood out to me was this concept of the law of inversion. And that's simply this. First, you must avoid losing in order to prepare for winning. First, you must avoid losing in order to prepare for winning. And I read that and I thought about it. And I thought to myself, well, how do you apply that to basketball? And so this past year, I applied that concept in three areas. The first one was this, second chance points. You've got to keep people one and done. The first way you can you know, eliminate those, those extra points, keep people off the glass, box out, keep everybody one and done. The second way is play without fouling. We emphasize all the time, be aggressive, put pressure on the basketball, but do without fouling. Don't give away free points. And then the last thing is this, take care of the basketball. Limit points off turnovers. So those three areas, second chance points, play without fouling, and then lastly, take care of the basketball. If you do those things, forget X's and O's, forget talent, forget anything else. If you start there, you've avoided losing in order to prepare for winning. The second article I had a chance to read was an article about Steve Kerr and when he first took over the Golden State Warriors and how he was trying to change not just the culture, but their strategy and how they can improve offensively. They were always a good defensive team under Mark Jackson, but he wanted to create more of a flow, more of a rhythm. And, you know, nowadays we think about all the threes that people take and the faster pace and the tempo. But the article was really unique because the one area that they went to and pinpointed every single game was passes per game. He went and looked, and I guess on average, they were around 280 passes per game. And he looked at the top team in the league. I think they were 336 passes per game. And so he looked at what was a manageable number that they could concentrate on, point to every single game, and say, if we do these things, that means there's probably more of a flow. And for me, I thought that was a unique way of looking at things. We're always thinking about playing faster. We're always thinking about taking more threes. You hear about analytics, but that one area of charting passes, passes per game, not just per possession, but passes per game. And then they would break it down even further and they'd look number of passes per possession and what that looked like. But it really got me to think. And I think this offseason, as I go back and look at my team, that's something I'm going to chart and see if that's a concept we can take into next year. Both excellent articles and articles that I really enjoy reading during the year, but I actually try to set them aside, stash them away, and then come back when the season's over and look at how does it apply to our team and how can it better help us in the future. So uh, really enjoyed both those articles. Hope you can take something from them. When we come back from the break, we're going to be joined by our first guest, the head coach of the IUPUI Jaguars, Jason Gardner. I'm really excited about our guest this week, one of the best players in the history of the state of Indiana. Mr. Basketball in 1999 went on to be the Naismith National Player of the Year, had his jersey retired at the University of Arizona, and he's now one of the up-and-coming coaches in college basketball. And uh, he's our very own head coach of the IUPUI Jaguars, Jason Gardner. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Jason, you, you just got back from the Final Four. Myself, I went to the convention on the women's side. Each year it's an opportunity to kind of learn and meet different coaches. What do you look forward to most uh, when you get a chance to go to the Final Four every year? I think for me it's building relationships. I think it's, it's great to meet a lot of different coaches. Uh, you see a lot of different ways guys play offensively, defensively. Uh, there's always different things that you think that you want to change offensively, defensively. So I think it's a good time to uh, just kind of figure out why why the coaches do certain things and uh, I think it's a lot of fun so I think it's a lot of note taking um, I think it's a great time for relationship building um, and so uh, just because I think it also too I think it's good that during the course of the year um, you can reach out to guys and just ask some questions throughout the season. Well, you said it. I mean, during the year, I think we're in so much of grind mode that, you know, you don't get that chance to kind of sit back and relax and really open up and, and chat with each other in the way that you get to at the, the final four. So one of the things I want to do is, you know, you have such a, a unique basketball history. As I said before, you're one of the best players to ever come out of our state. I want to kind of go through your playing career and people may not know this, but you and I played against each other growing up. You were a year older than me, but what people may not realize is when you were in seventh grade, you know, in seventh and eighth grade, 
grade, you were already on the national scene. I remember being at the uh, Nike, or I'm sorry, the AAU Nationals, and watching you in the Final Four uh, carry your your team, the Indy Blazers, uh, against the Atlanta Celtics. And I remember looking up to you at that time and just being like, man, that, that guy's incredible. What was it like at that age to have that pressure, to see your name in the rankings, and to kind of have all that on your shoulders at such a young age? Oh, well, I think the good thing is that um, back then we didn't have as you know we didn't have the social media, so I think it's more so that um, you didn't really see so much. It wasn't so. You, I mean, you knew about rankings, but it wasn't as big. I don't think as much as as talked about. I just think you knew about guys. Um, so I think as far as that, uh, and I had a great I had a great family uh, family support as far as just keeping me grounded, keeping me humble. Um, my circle's always been very short, so uh, I think for me. Um, you know, a lot of it kind of really never even really pays so much attention to it. No, when I watched you and, and when you were seventh, eighth grade freshman, I mean, you were kind of almost the height that you are now and a really, you know, early age. Did you have to adjust your game at all? Because when I remember when we played when you were younger, you were always kind of the biggest guy on the floor. And then obviously by the time, you know, you're a senior in high school and you go into college, you're a point guard that's still strong for your position. Did that change the way that you played at all? Was there any adjustments that you had to, to make, you know, from, from that? that time as people kind of caught up from a physical standpoint um i think i think in high school i was you know pretty quick pretty athletic i think i had a, a strong build uh, one thing that would happen when i got to arizona um lute olsen you know he, he's a, he's a guy that likes his point guards to shoot he likes his guards to shoot threes and pull-ups and uh, i remember one day you know i got to the rim got to the basket scored the ball um the offensive team they pushed it down court and they scored a layup and he stopped practicing he was like hey jake no more layups. You got to make jump shots. And he was always big on his ones and twos, getting back on defense to be the staple of his defense. And then after that, that's kind of when I kind of started developing, um, you know, the step back, more concentrating on the three-point line. And um, it's just crazy just kind of how just within those couple months, my game kind of went from attacking the rim to uh, becoming more of a, a jump shooter. When you were in high school, you, correct me if I'm wrong, you took your team to a state championship, is that? Yes, in 99. 99. So... Tell me a little bit about that. You know, you take your team to a state championship, uh, North Central, one of the prominent high schools here in our state, and then you're named Mr. Basketball. Talk about what that meant then to be on that journey, but also still what it means to be uh, remembered as a, a Mr. Basketball in, in the state of Indiana. Well, the crazy thing is I set goals before the season, and uh, I wanted to be a McDonald's All-American. I wanted to win the state. I wanted to be Mr. Basketball. Um, and so, you know, it's funny things. I showed my mom this list of 10, 15, I don't know how many things I had on the list and she can talk about it till today. And I told her this is what I wanted to do. Um, as we get towards the end of the season, you know, we have accomplished a lot of these deals besides the state championship. Uh, the McDonald's had, hadn't been announced yet. And um, and then the McDonald's gets announced and then we win the semifinals. And so what happens is you go from um, you, you we play we won on Saturday. You have to fly out on Monday. And so the championship game was the following Saturday. So I sat, I sat down with Doug Mitchell and my ultimate goal was always win a state. I thought it was an honor to be a McDonald's All-American. So I didn't really want to miss practice because I was worried about playing in the state championship game, not being prepared. Um, so we all sat down and so uh, and thought the best thing was to go out to McDonald's game, enjoy it, have fun, um, come back, and then be ready for the game. So I actually missed the first practice at McDonald's on uh, on Monday because um, I stayed back with the team, flew out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, got back Thursday night. We practiced Thursday, Friday, played the game Saturday. And I was so nervous because I was wondering, you know, if we don't come out with this outcome, you know, is it because I traveled and I went to McDonald's and somehow, some way it all worked out? Well, that's a uh, pretty incredible. Obviously that's a, those are big decisions you got to make at a young age and knowing something that you've worked for. I mean, how prestigious the McDonald's game is. And, and then also, you know, being named Mr. Basketball in our state, I mean, the rich tradition of the, the names that just stand out to, to be able to have that on your, your resume and to be able to always have that uh, is something that I think means a lot in our state. No, it definitely does. You know, we, we had a lot of great players in that class. We had Gavin, Groniger uh, went to Michigan. John Stewart, who passed away, that was going into Kentucky. He had Kenny Lowe went to Purdue. Um, 
you know, we have Bernard Hollins who went to Wright State. We had John Holmes uh, went to North Carolina. So I think that class was um, really loaded. Um, and so, um, um, but it was actually a great time as far as spending time with those guys because, you know, you see them uh, and you go against them on the court and it's very competitive. And it kind of, when you get to the All-Star weekend and get to know personalities and get to hang out with one another and kind of just get get to know the backgrounds. It was a lot of fun to kind of just see the competitors of guys. And now, you know, you're one unit trying to compete for two games. Well, I think this is something you've always known, you know, being from Indianapolis, but I feel like in the last, oh, five, five years, it seems like almost every other year, there's an article in some paper about the rich tradition of Indianapolis, that there's all these pros that, that come from our city. As somebody that's from here, talk about the personal pride of representing Indianapolis and the number of players that we see now, you know, end up playing professionally and having, you know, major success at the college level just from the city. I, I think it has to do with just, you know, the it's, it's amazing. I think that we have so many players from Indy as, as pros. And um, I think for us, it's great because I think as kids, you grow up looking up to these guys. And so um, I think it actually helps uh, Indianapolis because, you know, these guys do come back. They play in multiple gyms around here. They actually even play here um, at IEPOI. Um, and so I think the more guys that guys have somebody to look up to, somebody that came from their school, uh, somebody that walked them hard, always like them somebody that played you know wore that jersey um i just think that uh you know it's just something that you know the kids uh you know they strive for and want to and want to be just like that person well it's been neat to see you know all the success the different guys that have gone on you know from indianapolis and obviously we know how talent rich it is here so ultimately you chose arizona after high school um, played for a hall of famer and lute olson i'm curious though what were some of the other schools that you were looking at when you were considering arizona and what what was the thing that pushed you uh, to, to go so far from home uh, and, and play you know, in the Pac-12 at a place that you know, obviously had a lot of history and uh, was, was really good? But for in our area around here, you, know, you were a you know, big-time name. The Purdue's, the IU's, I mean, anybody in the Big Ten, were, I'm sure, was, was knocking at your door. Tell me about that process. Uh, it was a very hard decision. I think, uh, you know, being a kid from Indiana, I think, you know, you grow up in Big Ten country. Um, um, you know, it, it came down to, you know, Purdue and Gene Cady, IU and Bob Knight. Um, you know, that was two that was two places that we went to a lot of different practices, went to a lot of games. Um, you know, you, came, you became familiar with, you know, the staff and uh, a lot of the players. Um, last three schools was Kansas, Duke, and Arizona. Um, but ultimately... I had a great relationship with Coach Olson. Um, you know, his his wife that passed away, Bobby, uh, she was phenomenal. It's, it um, you know, in recruiting, you know, I actually would talk to her quite a bit. And you kind of felt that motherly love um, and being that far from home, um, having somebody that you knew that you felt like you was close enough. If you needed to make a phone call to, um, you can make that phone call to her. And, uh, and when I got there, I became close, you know, my visit, I became close to Richard Jefferson and Luke Walton, who are now still two of my closest friends. Um, but just, you know, instantly the chemistry was there, uh, the excitement of, you know, hey, you, you, you know, you need to come here and be our point guard. Um, it was big shoes to fill. I had to replace Jason Terry. And before then, Mike Bibby had left. So, um, you know, I knew it was a lot of work cut out that, you know, that I had to bring it. And, uh, but I think ultimately, you know, I love the school. I love Coach Olsen. I love the style of play. We'll talk about Coach Olson. I mean, I think, you know, for uh, the generation of players now, they hear about the Gene Cadys, the Bobby Knights, the you know, Lute Olsons. They don't really know. Uh, they just hear about it. Tell us about Coach Olson. What were some of the things about his personality like that you liked? What were some of the things about his coaching style um, that, that you learned while you were there? You know, he was he was very, he, you know, he's a very quiet guy. He's a, uh, you know, he's real relaxed. He's very calm. Um, no matter what type of situation you're in, um, you know, you just always know that that he's that he's always under control. Um, you know, the, the one thing that was huge about him was that if you had if we had we always always knew that if we had preparation and we had a couple days before we played anybody in the country, we were going to win that. Um, and that's one thing that I think that he did a phenomenal job is it was preparing for teams. And if he had two plus days, you know, I always just felt there wasn't no way that she was going to be able to beat us. Um, and, you know, he just broke it down from, you know, what we had to do to take you know, that, that power away from the other team. And he did a great job at that. You have your own program now and we'll get into some, 
more specifics of that, you know, later. But now that you do have your own program, what do you now appreciate about Coach Olson that maybe you didn't then when you were a player that you do now that you're a coach? I think the relationship. I think that he demanded excellence. I think he demanded that you know you be phenomenal on the court. You'll be that you're a hard worker. That off the court that you take care of business. And so uh, I think a lot of times when you when you're young and you sit down and you're having those lessons, you know, sometimes I think they're going one ear out the other because you know you're sitting there, you're you're young and you know not really understanding that you know one decision can alter your life. And uh, I think loot did a great job as far as just constantly sitting you down uh, and being able for somebody that you can go to to talk to just about life. Okay. Well, the other thing I think is interesting about your experience there is you guys had a lot of success. I mean, you had a lot of NBA players on your teams, uh, Gilbert Arenas, Richard Jefferson, you know, Luke Walton. You just got back from a Final Four. Talk about the experience of playing in a Final Four and the highs of being in it and the lows of maybe not being able to quite get over the hump uh, in such a, a big atmosphere. You know, that it's actually, you know, you're at the Final Four. You know, one thing that, uh, you know, I saw the Villanova bus and it was, you know, all the cops in front of it, you know, they're, they're, they're blocking off streets to let the bus through. And, um, and, you know, you're walking in the restaurants, everything's kind of chained off, you know, it's so fast. It's so quick. Um, it is so, it's so many different people It's so many different uh, interview here, interview there. You're at practice, you're back in the hotel, you're eating, you know, you're, you know, it's just, you know, you have the video sessions. Uh, it just goes so fast. And I think that, um, you know, I wish now looking back on it, you know, I really enjoyed it because, you know, it's a couple of days and it's over. Um, and so it's an unbelievable feeling. It's an unbelievable atmosphere. You walk on the court and you see the bright lights, you see this arena is packed. And it's something that I think as a kid, you know, you always dream about as far as being the final four, hitting a big shot, you know, winning the game. And, um, you know, you're on one shiny moment. Um, you know, we did come up short, but I thought Duke, um, you know, was a very, very good team with Jason Williams and Shane Battier and uh, Boozer and Dunleavy. Um, and it came down really to the last three minutes. They made shots. We missed shots. And, uh, you know, they came out to win. What's it like in that first semifinal game? You know, you get the win and the excitement that, you know, hey, we're going to play for a championship now. But then you have that next day and it's such a quick turnaround. How do you manage the emotions? Walk us through from the time, you know, game ends, you win the semifinal to the preparation that leads up now to that championship uh, Monday. You know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, you can't sleep. You know, you get back to the room and all you're thinking about is, you know, we got an opportunity to win a national championship. You got an opportunity to hang a banner, hang a hang a banner up at you know, your university. Um, you know what this means for, you know, the school, you know, your family, yourself. Um, it's everything that, you know, you put into it. And so, uh, you know, I think it's a quick 48 hours. Um, it's, it's very hard to sleep. Um, you know, it's a lot of phone calls. It's a lot of talking. Um, and then the next thing you know, you know, you're walking into the game and jump ball and there you are. So, um, you know, again, you know, just if you ever get that opportunity for, you know, for the young guys out there, it's just uh, it's just an unbelievable feeling. Well, you've had the opportunity to play with uh, so many great players and against so many great players. I'm curious, who is the best player you've ever played with and who is the best player you've ever played against? Best player I probably ever played with is Gilbert, you know, Agent Zero, Hibachi, you know, he had 25 different names, but, um, you know, you just saw just in practices, you know, he had, he was a pro. I mean, he, he made moves that I think that you thought, how did, how did he finish that? How did he make that shot? And then you come to the games and what people really didn't know about Gilbert was he was actually our best defender. And uh, he wanted to guard everybody's, you know, best wing, best guard. Um, he, he he took he took a lot of ownership in that. Um, and then I think kind of as he worked his way into the NBA, you know, um, you know, he found himself in a role of that, you know, he became the scorer who he naturally was. And so, you know, a lot of things that, you know, when people see him in highlights and see him in different things like that, those are things that we saw in practice just at a younger age. And so Gilbert by far is probably the best player that um, – you know, that I uh, play with, that I played against. Um, I probably will say probably uh, Khalid Alameen. You know, he played at UConn. He was a small point guard. Um, but the thing about him was that he can get to anywhere on the court. He can get a shot off on anybody. Um, it was kind of, you know, 
before you know the step back really happened I thought that he was a guy that had the step back he had a nice little fade as you as you tried to defend him uh, he could shoot the three he'd get to the rim um, so it was one of those deals that when he came down the court um, he always kind of put you you was always on your toes because he was an aggressive scorer and um and so and I was I was younger, he was older. And so that's when I realized that, you know, you, you always got to put pressure on the defense. And when he came across half court, you didn't really know what was going to happen. Well, and I always think, too, the, the deceptive, you know, he was kind of chunky for a, a point guard. I, I remember playing Darren Williams from uh, Illinois. You know, you're so you're, you're putting so much energy on the floor. Uh, you know, there wasn't energy to talk a lot of smack. And uh, I'll never forget uh, guarding, you know, Darren in college. And I checked him, and I felt like when when I you know hit him, it was like the Pillsbury Doughboy. And uh, I, I could not believe his stamina though on the court. I mean, he was hitting baskets and talking crazy, and and his he was so de- deceptive with his speed. And you never would have guessed it because he was kind of you know obviously he worked out the, those kinks. And when he went to the NBA, they were going to let him continue to be chunky. But I I, I was so shocked. Uh, at, at that, and it was probably similar with with Elamine. Yeah, no, he. Uh, uh you know, he did kind of have a different body type, um, and it was just kind of weird to see because, you know, again, as you kind of say, you know, that, and he had an unbelievable first step. And you're in your mind, you're thinking his first step is phenomenal, but how is this happening? Uh, so no, so uh, but he he has some great offensive skills, though. Well, I want to ask you. You know, you mentioned Luke Walton's one of your best friends, and I want to ask you about that. But I got to tell you a quick story. Um, in in college, uh, you know, I, I wasn't making the draft uh, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but at my wedding, uh, my brother told the story of, of I made you know, I did make the draft and it was in Luke Walton's draft highlights. Uh, he uh, picked one of my passes and went in and dunked it. And so, um, you know, my only NBA draft moment was uh, turning it over and having somebody else dunk it. But you're obviously really good friends with him. Did you know uh, when you played that one, he would be a future coach and two, would you ever have expected he's going to be the head coach of, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers, one of the you know preeminent uh, franchise. And this is in the history of the NBA. Well, you know, he's going to be a coach. I think Luke's IQ for the game was unbelievable. And so uh, it was actually a great guy to play with because he's always just kind of seemed like we was always on the same page as far as just thinking. Um, and, you know, if you made a cut, the ball was delivered. Um, you know, he was a winner, um, not a very, you know, not any athleticism at all. Um, but, you know, he knew how to score. He knew how to get open. He knew how to make that pass. Um, he knew how to defend you. Um, and so, but, you know, but just talking with him, you know, you could tell that his IQ for the game is, you know, it was off the charts. Um, and so now looking at him and just seeing what he's doing year by year with the Lakers, um, with a team that's not as strong, um, you, you just knew you, you knew he was going to be a coach. You know, I didn't know he was going to be a Lakers coach, but um, I think when you watch him year to year, he's gotten better. He's gotten that team better. Uh, they're a very young team, and I think the one thing about him is that you can relate to him. Uh, I think that's why Klusman and um, you know and and, and Ball. Um, I think that you know they enjoy playing for him, um, and I think he gets them. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's, it's been fun kind of talking about your career because obviously I was a year behind you, and you know we competed a lot. But you know, I, the thing I always took away from watching you play was your competitiveness. I mean, you you wanted to take the other person's lunch money every time you stepped on the floor, and you know, as a player that was you know behind you in a class and and you know trying to make a name for myself, that's how, what I kind of t- always took away was your competitive spirit. So it's been a lot of fun to talk uh, about your uh, you know playing career. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about Coach Gardner's coaching career and some strategy uh, strategy talk along the way. So we'll be back in just a second. Okay, we're back with the head coach of the IUPUI Jaguars, Jason Gardner. Jason, you just got back from the Final Four, and as we talk about your coaching career, ironic, Porter Moser is in the final four this year, he gave you your first opportunity. What was it like to be able to uh, be there and, and support him this year? Well, I think the, the thing about it was when I first got into the business with uh, Coach Porter um, to understand how, you know, he talked a lot about Rick Majerus and how everything's about details um, and how, you know, preparation um, and how information is power. So it is so much in two years that I learned from him that uh, just, you you know, just about the business, just about uh, practices, uh, preparing the guys, you know, games. Uh, you know, I thought he was phenomenal with, um, 
you know, making halftime adjustments, making in-game adjustments. And and it's one of those deals when you're watching him coach, you know, you're not understanding, you know, how, you know, you know, he's a phenomenal coach and he just needed his opportunity. And so um, I think this year, you know, they have phenomenal season um, and to get his team to the final four for me, you know, wasn't, you know, a shock because I knew what type of coach he was. And um, and it just again, he just needed his opportunity. And and now the world, you know, everybody knows that he's an unbelievable coach. A lot of former players, you know, want to get into coaching. Um, and I think my observation has been there's always a rude awakening from as a player to what actually goes on behind the scenes as a coach, um, especially when we play at the level that we played at in the Big Ten, the Pac-12. You know, there's so many managers. There's people doing stuff for you left and right. I mean, it's, it's really a first-class operation. But when you become a coach, typically you work your way up. What was the biggest surprise for you going from – playing overseas to jumping right into coaching. What was the difference? What did you see right away that was like, whoa, this, this, this part of coaching, you know, I, I wouldn't have seen as a player. You know, I, I think one is, um, it's the day to day, just grind, um, as far as just the conversation with players, uh, the video with players, uh, working guys out, um, you know, thinking about, you know, uh, in your position, you know, you know, most guys have, uh, position coaches, you know, just in your, as a position coach, what do your guys have to do to get better? What do they need to work on? What do you have to tell them as far as the things that you saw in practice, what you saw in a game? Uh, and then you come to the scouting reports. I think that is something that um, is 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 almost just important as anything as far as just, you know, as you as you build your scouting report and you have to take it into your head coach and uh, just what do they do offensively? What do they do defensively? Um, you know, Coach, coach uh, Porter was more, you know, he was very detailed and you know when guy when different guys come in the game you know um, um, you know when they when they throw the ball to the wing what is the action that's coming so I think you know he did a great job as far as you know keeping your own toes and um, making you uh, learn the ins and outs of teams and so I think guys don't understand um, that when you get into the business I think everybody thinks that it's more so that you know you walk into practice you get a couple shots up you you know you talk a little you talk a little uh, craziness and, and uh, you know, practice over with and, and it's kumbaya, but uh, behind the scenes, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a beast and it's not for everybody. Um, and it's a, um, and it's a, it's a tough job. I always laugh when I watch a college basketball game and you see that one assistant coach on the sideline that, you know, it's their scout because they're the one that's up and something happens and they're, you know, uh, hitting their scouting report in their hand. And when you're a player, you don't realize it. I mean, you're going over a scouting report the night before a game or two days before the game. And, uh, you don't realize as a player, the number of hours that goes into it and the personal pride, not just as the head coach, but those assistant coaches that have watched, you know, sometimes eight to 10 games and, and know the stuff backwards and forwards. And I always thought that was a, a eye opener for me that, and then, and now as a coach, when uh, I think our frustration level, when players maybe don't pay attention to the scattering report nearly as, as much of understanding, Hey, listen, there's, there's a lot of hours when they're questioning, you know, why are we sending this kid left? Well, maybe the eight to 10 games we watched uh, had something to do with it. Right, right, right. No, it's funny. And, you know, uh, you know, you tell guys, Hey, he's a shooter. Only thing he's going to do, he's going to step in the game and he's going to get three threes off. And, you know, you talk about it all week for four or five days and literally the guy steps on the court and he launches a three and he makes it. And the guy looks at you and you're thinking, uh, I told you the only thing he is going to do is shoot a three. And in your mind, you're thinking, we've talked about this for five days. How do we just allow this to happen? So, um, and I think it's like what you said, it's a lot of pride that goes into it um, as far as that. Uh, um, and I think, you know, you, you know, guys too, you know, they want to hear um, as you, as you're sitting up there and you're, you're at the chalkboard and you're telling them, um, as far as just what they do and what's our strengths and weaknesses, what we have to take away. Um, you know, guys are looking up to you to, to give them, um, you know, the, the, the answer to um, how to uh, figure this out. It's funny you said that about right away starting the game. We played at Michigan State one time, and it's still a running joke. My, my best friend and roommate uh, in college, Brett Busher, uh, first Conzo was Conzo Martin Scout, who's you know the head coach in Missouri, and the whole emphasis was Paul Davis shot fakes every time he touches it, shot fakes every single time, and literally the first play of the game they run a pick and pop and he shot fakes and Brett goes flying by, and you know a guy takes two dribbles and lays it up and. 
Conzo, I remember hit him hitting the, his scouting report in his hand. He was mad, and you know Brett gets subbed out right away. And I he sat next to me. I said, "What? What were you thinking? Like it was the only thing on the scouting report." And, and Brett's kind of funny. He said, "You know, his shot fake was just so luscious." And to this day, like anytime, like there's something like I'll get a text from him say, "Wait, the Paul Davis shot fake? Like it's just so luscious." So yeah, the scouting thing I think is uh, sometimes underappreciated by the players. So you go from Loyola, you have an opportunity to work there. That's your first coaching opportunity. And then you get to go work for a guy that you're really familiar with and Josh Pastner at Memphis. Different uh, competition level now uh, where Memphis would, you know, been built up by Coach Cal, uh, very successful, uh, probably a different type of kid, very, very athletic. What were some of the changes uh, that you noticed, you know, changing schools? And then what were some of the things that possibly you learned uh, under his tutelage? Well, I think uh, the big thing from Joshua I learned was just seeing how he had a maneuver from his day-to-day operation to where, you know, wake up in the morning, gets a workout in, comes in, meets with us, you know, maybe just over just, um, you know, things again that, you know, where, where we guys we need to recruit, uh, where are we going for the week? Uh, um, you know, where does he need to go? And then, you know, he leaves and he goes, gets on his talk show. And then next, you know, he has to go meet someone for lunch. Um, then he's back, he's back in his suit. And now we're talking about practice planning. Um, he leaves there and he has to go have another meeting. And there's times where, you know, he's literally practice is starting and he's walking in with his suit. Um, and, you know, he takes his suit off, you know, takes his jacket, takes his tie off, jumps right into practice, uh, starts coaching. Uh, from there, you know, right after practice, he sits us down. Hey, you know, this is where I'm going. Let's talk about this tomorrow. Let's talk about that. Boom. He's off to maybe a dinner and then off to, uh, you know, another show that he has to do at night and then goes home to his family. So just to see the day-to-day, how busy, um, you know, how busy, and I know every program is not like that, but I think Memphis is, uh, Memphis is nowhere like it as far as just it's an unbelievable city unbelievable fan support um, a lot of media and so uh, just to see just how he worked every day I thought that you know I got to see behind the scenes of two phenomenal coaches um, but I just thought he did a great job as far as just managing all that well you talk about managing the day I think that's the one of the things as a head coach that is probably not appreciated at all by the fans that are watching they see the product on the floor they see the you know the results but I don't think they the day-to-day stuff and um, it was obviously, you know, not the same level, but uh, working for Ron Hunter, what you just described was very similar to what I took away from him is, you know, there's uh, there's things that you got to make a big deal about. And then there's things that you got to be able to move forward with. And I thought he did a great job of delegating. But to see them go from, you know, coaching to the fan stuff to media and you've got to organize that uh, on a consistent basis. And I think uh having an opportunity to work for, you know, Josh in that level and see something on that stage, I think it will, will serve you well, uh, in the future. You're at Memphis and then, uh, the IUPUI job comes open your hometown, uh, an area, obviously you're not only just familiar with you're well-liked, well-respected. What were your thoughts when you initially saw that the job was open and then how aggressive were you in pursuit of, of trying to land this job? Well, you know, um, you know, I talked it over, uh, with my wife and, uh, you know, and we talked about how exciting it would be to be a head coach. And at first I think it was kind of more of, Hey, you know, we're not going to get the job, but I think it'd be, you know, kind of cool. Just throw your name in there, see what happens and just maybe go through the process. And as you're going through the process, it's like, you're starting here. I might have a shot at it. And, 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 you know, you're thinking, okay, as a young, a young coach, uh, you know, just, you know, just what's going to happen. Um, and then, you know, you get that phone call that, you know, you got the job and I just think it was, it was a lot of excitement. Uh, I think it was a lot of nerves, um, just as far as just, um, you know, just what goes on from just, you know, again, looking at Porter and looking at Josh. Um, but I think it was, I I think the big thing about it was that I was coming back home, um, you know, being from here, a lot of family support, uh, knowing the AU coaches, knowing the high school coaches, so I just thought it wasn't a, a better place for him because, um, you know, I, you know, I think you're going to a city where, um, you, you, you know, 
you know everywhere to go um, and you, you already had you already had already built in relationships uh, so I thought coming back home it was um, it was an unbelievable feeling so you get here you have to assess the program kind of the state of the program the talent on the roster what did you see as the biggest challenges in establishing the culture that you wanted to set um, you know I, I think that uh, anytime you know you take a job you know cultures are already set for um, for for a lot of different reasons and uh, all cultures are different um, you know um, I just thought for me you know coming in you know I just wanted my whole mind hard um, you know sharing the ball and that's what I just try to set as far as just you know when I got the job here um, just the values that I've learned through um, you know Doug Mitchell as far as just playing hard through Coach Olsen as far as preparation um, I actually got to work for a guy for Andy Fagan for a year and just uh, when he was at Cathedral and you know learning from him from a year then Porter then Josh so I just try to bring all those values from all those coaches that uh, that uh, that I played under and, and was able to coach under. Uh, that's what I try to bring here. As a former player, you had a certain approach to the game and mentality with the way that you attacked each and every day. What do you think is the thing that shines through the most from your days as a player to now your personality and the way that you coach? Um, I, I think from day to day, I think I'm a pretty calm, collective guy. But I think once we hit that court and we hit game time, I think the players will probably tell you I'm a little different. Um, but I think it's just that competitive fire, that competitive nature. I think that, um, you know, I think that when you watch these young men in practice, um, you know, you're watching how hard they're going. And then, uh, you know, then you get in the game and there could be a little slippage. It could be nerves. It could be, you know, getting a little tight. It could be, um, you know, um, down on themselves. And so, I think, you know, during games, you know, uh, I'm just a very competitive, uh, fiery, you know, I want to win every game. Um, and so I think the players will probably tell you I'm a little different from practice to games. So one of the things I think is impressive, you increased your win total in each of your first three seasons as coach. This past year, we moved to the Horizon League uh, in July, um, which I know we're both excited about. And you finished an impressive fifth uh, this year in the Horizon League. And I know that's a, a great beginning from where you want to go. Switching leagues is always an adjustment. What's, what, what do you, is there any adjustment you have to make in recruiting or to uh, your your style of play from switching leagues? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think going from here to uh, from the summit to the horizon, I thought that uh, guys were a little, guys were more athletic. Um, guys were a little more quick twitch. And so I think that, uh, you know, we, we want to be, we want to get a little bit more athletic. We want to get a little bit bigger. Um, but I thought uh, for first year, I thought our guys did a phenomenal job as far as we we're in a lot of games. Um, it's a very, very athletic league. It's a very fast league. Um, and I thought for us, um, it was just kind of you're going in really the, the unknown as far as how do teams play, you know, who's, you know, who's the pressing team, who's the zone team, um, you know, how, you know, and how, how are your guys going to respond? I think, you know, you get comfortable as far as just, uh, you know, when you're in the, 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 when we're in the summit, as far as you, you knew routines, you knew what guys were going to do. So I thought it was kind of fun going to a new league and, you're kind of just, you know, you're, you're the new team and, you know, you're kind of learning as you're going. The other thing I would say is this is, you know, being in the summit, there were a lot of challenges in recruiting. I mean, you know, telling kids that, I mean, no kid, I don't think in this area dreams about going to South Dakota three times a year. I just don't think that's the case. And so now that we're in the Horizon League and we're the most centrally located team in the Horizon League, talk about those advantages and how from a recruiting standpoint with the benefits and also just from a playing standpoint where, you know, your teams are showing up to games now. And they're not tired. They're not exhausted from, you know, catching connecting flight to connecting flight and the benefits, I think, of, of what this league will bring. Well, no, I, th I definitely think that was tough on the guys as far as just, you know, going on the road, playing two games. And uh, when we're in the summit and, you know, be on the road for four to five days. But here I think it's uh, it's great for us because, you know, we, we literally practice here. We drive up that night. Uh, we play the next day and we're back that we're back the following day and we're in the class uh, that, that next day. Um, but I think the biggest thing that we that we can take away from is that um, your family and friends are able to come see you play. And I think that's always huge that, um, you know, when you're able to look in the crowd and you have your you have your uh, your your family support, your your tight knit circle, 
kind of giving you the thumbs up, clapping for you, cheering for you. Um, so I think that that's huge. And also, too, I just think that, you know, it's it's guys that uh, guys have went against. It's, um, you know, uh, it's um, teams that recruited you, uh, teams you wanted to be recruited by. Um, so I just think the atmosphere. Um, and again, I think anytime your, 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 your fans can travel, it's always just a big time plus. Yeah, we felt the same way as far as, you know, we went to a couple different places this year, Milwaukee and Cleveland State, where we had really good crowds uh, because we had players from those areas. And a lot of times they're familiar with kids that they played against. And I think that makes for you know more fun competition and, and challenges, you know, as the year goes on. The other thing I've noticed about your program, and even when I was on the men's side here at IUPUI, we've always had a lot of success with transfers um, and, and, and the men's program. Talk a little bit about... It, it seems like you get kids that, that, that you know, want to go away and maybe they're promised something better at a you know, bigger school. I don't know. But it seems like they realize how special Indianapolis is. And discuss a little bit about the transfers, because you've had a lot of success in, in, with transfers. And I was I was watching the other day and some of the kids you have sitting out are, are, are really good. So it's, it's always been a staple here. But why is it that you think that happens? You know, I don't know. I, I think that when we got the job, I don't think we talked about, you know, uh, prep prep school kids, high school kids, JUCO kids, uh, transfers. I just think somehow we just found our way into the niche of just the transfers. And uh, I think what we've done, I think we've done a great job as far as getting transfers. Um, a lot of and guys leave for a lot of different reasons. And I think we've done a good job. As far as when guys get here, building them back up, you know, I think a lot of guys leave and, you know, they're a little broken. And so you got to get their spirits back up. You got to get their confidence back up. Uh, and I think we've done a good job and I think we're proving, you know, we go through the numbers and look at guys stats from different schools and um, just from from minutes to points to rebounds to assists have went up. Um, and again, get them back to, you know, who they were. And uh, I think I think staff wise, uh, we you know, it, it, they've, they've done a great job as far as building those guys back up but and also too I think you're getting you're getting an older kid who's you know wants to prove themselves as far as you know they they either got let go or just didn't like their situation from the other school and uh I think now they got a second chance um and so now you're getting a guy that you know that, that you're talking about you know another opportunity that you have in life that you need to take advantage of and kid has been on the road been in the classroom um you know he's already you know he's already understanding the the whole college the way college works um so just somehow transfers has kind of just been our niche well, I think transfers just for, you know, when I was on the men's side as well, specifically here at IUPUI, uh, was a great resource to tap into because I felt like, you know, these kids, maybe that's in their minds, I got to get away, I got to get away. And they get away and, and they realize maybe it's, it's not so green on the other side and, and how special, you know, the city of Indianapolis is. Uh, you know, you've had, uh, you know, Bus Patterson, you had Kellen Thomas uh, come back. Uh, we had Robert Glenn, who was a junior college in, in Illinois and came back. And, you know, all those guys went on to have, you know, really good careers. And, you know, I think it also sends a message to maybe some of those graduating high school kids to say, hey, you know, this IUPUI can be a really good fit for me. No, no doubt. And I, I think what people need to understand, the education here that you're on get is unbelievable. I think the city sells itself. I think that, and I think what guys need to focus in on too is just life after basketball. Just, you know, every, everybody's not going to go to the NBA. Everybody's not going to play in the uh, in the G League. Everybody's not going to play in Europe. Um, but I think the good thing is that, you know, being, being in the city to where there's life after basketball and I think that's one thing that we do sell here is that there's so many different opportunities that you can be involved in as far as starting a career other because someday that, that basketball is going to stop bouncing and so um, I think have, coming here getting an unbelievable degree and, and having somewhere to bounce back to uh, start a career. Something you said there to me is really interesting and I'm curious how you handle this. It feels like every kid on the men's side thinks they're going to go to the NBA and I'll give you an example. When I was the director of basketball operations at IPFW, our sixth man had written on his shoe his name to the league. And me being clueless, I, I asked, like, what league was he hoping to go to? Like, I didn't know if it was the Y or the rec league. Or He was the sixth man on the sixth place in the Summit League on a conference that was probably 20 out of 30 at that time. That's when we was, you know, really early. But that's across the board. A lot of these guys, you know, think I'm going to go to the NBA that may not realistically have a, you know, a, a shot at that. How do you keep them focused on, hey, there is 
life after basketball. And it's that degree, because I do think that's one of the unique things about the men's side is that so many of these guys think they're going to play professionally. You know, I, I think that, you know, I never tell a guy that, you know, I always say that, you know, you got to write stuff down and you got to have goals and uh, about life. But also, too, I think there's times, too, where, you know, you need to be able to sit guys down, too, and also to help them with um, reality. And, uh, and I think guys, I think guys start to understand as they get into their career and as their career is going on and as they're getting older, I think those guys start talking about different things. And so, you know, I always tell guys, you know, you strive, you strive to, to touch the highest goal you can get. Um, but also too, don't lose sight of, uh, you know, don't lose sight of opportunities that you have. And so again, you know, strive, strive to be in the NBA, strive to be a starter, strive to be a hall of famer in the NBA. But the big thing too is don't lose sight of that. Um, if you know, you have an opportunity to go play in Europe, don't pass that up. Um, because again, that, that can, that's still, a, it's, it's still, a, you're still playing pro ball. Um, you're getting paid to do what you love to do, uh, what you wanted to do as a kid. So, um, but just don't lose sight on the opportunities that are in front of you. At the end of each year, I think as a coach, you go back and, and uh, reflect on the season. And, and sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes the week after. There are things to me that stand out right away. After this past season, what did you learn about yourself uh, or, or maybe strategy, anything that you think, you know what, going into next year, this is something that I want to be able to improve on or, or change? Well, this summer we're, we're, uh, we're focusing more on making jumpers. Uh, I think that, you know, as you look as you look at all the top teams, whether it's NBA, whether it's college, you know, you gotta be able to make shots. And so our focus this year is that um, it's not so much about all the, the drills, it's about making shots. And so we, uh, in our practices, um, you know, um, in our workouts right now, it's about shooting. And then it's about competing, you know, from the time that you walk in to the time that you're finishing. And I think that, you know, we're trying to get guys in the mindset of that, uh, from from when the tip ball jumps to the end of that buzzer, you have to compete no matter what the score is. So um, those are the two things we're, we're amping up competition-wise. And then secondly, uh, you know, it's about making shots. We talked about making shots. You know, when you look at your team, clearly I think every coach we say get in the gym more, get more shots up. For the guys coming back, is it more about being shot ready? Is it more about their – preparation to get open to get the shot um you know what do you think is going to be that that next step that helps them be consistent you know from from shooting outside you know i i think it's um i think it's in shooting drills um i think it's that as you as you go to the gym you know um and you have a rebounder i think as far as just not being straight up straight down not just you know casually you know shooting the ball having a conversation about um you know what happened in the nba game or what happened last night call it you know or, or what happened last night on TV or whatever show it may be. I think it's about putting in the work and as far as receiving, catching shot ready, you know, one hard dribble. I mean, you're in there breaking a sweat. Um, and I think then now you're talking about that when the game comes, it's not how did I get this shot off? And, you know, you're blaming other people. It's more that you wasn't ready. You wasn't ready to get the shot off. You know, you wasn't ready to, you know, as he's closing out to get by him. So I think our whole focus now is that being shot ready, but – you know, that just the game and just the work that you put in, uh, you know, is, you know, tr try to treat, you know, um, you know, every drill as if like it's, it's, it's game is game like. And so and then I think the competition side of it comes out. Well, the thing I took away from from my ear was uh, I wrote down the words, you know, we wanted scheme flexibility on offense with fundamental stubbornness. And the rea what, what, what I mean by that is this. I felt like over the course of the year, um, you know, we spend so much time in fundamentals in the preseason and the summer and, the you know, kind of the fall. And then I think as the year goes on, you know, as you're doing scouting, as you're doing, you know, other planning, other teams, you lose a little bit of that and really getting back to, you know, the fundamentals of things. One of the challenges I do see, I think it's great. We've got all these trainers that work out these kids. Um, and I think it's outstanding because it means they're in the gym, they're working on stuff. But I also see uh, a lot of, you know, let's work on 12 Euro steps and, and let me shoot, you know, 15 step back jumpers versus really honing in on the fundamentals. Are you at all surprised when you get a kid in college, how often you have to kind of correct footwork and, and really teach the basic things when it comes to coming off screens, catching the basketball, shot fakes, that type of thing? You know, honestly, I think uh, I think the video game has hurt guys. You know, I think that uh, 
you know, just all these moves as far as just, you know, be able to take, you know, five, six dribbles to, to get your shot off, you know. And uh, I think guys need to understand that, you know, two dribbles, you have to, be, you know, that was one thing that Coach Olsen, we, we did a drill. And there's times you had two dribbles, there's times you had one dribble. And, you know, and, and myself, you know, at, at, at five, five, nine, um, you know, I'm going against Richard, who was six, seven, very athletic, long wingspan, and you have one dribble. And, and, and you know, the sad thing about about it was, you know, Rich knew, let me take a step off. Oh, you only get one dribble, right or left, and, you know, one dribble, and boom, block my shot. Coach Olsen's mad at me, and I'm like, okay, coach, Richard's playing three feet off. You, you know, he, he knows the drill. Um, and so when you look at guys now, you know, with all these, you know, with all this, you know, you, you know, you watch James Harden the other night, and, you know, he makes a move, he goes left, he comes back, he goes right. The guy is still with him. He steps back um, and it makes another counter move to his, you know, you know, with 10 dribbles. And, you know, you see so much on Twitter of how many guys were talking about, did you see the crossover? But in my mind, I said, and I was like, did you see that he took 15 seconds on the clock and he took 10 dribbles? Um, but, you know, it, the, the crossover move that he made to a step back, you know, had so many views and so many, you know, retweets or whatnot. And so, I look at it that, um, you know, guys are too caught up in, you know, video game and, and, and things like that. And other deals, you know, guys got to be more challenged of playing five on five. You know, this going into gyms and, you know, working out and different things like that is cool. But at the end of the day, the moves that you do. If you can't do it in the game, it serves no purpose. So guys got to get back to more playing five on five. And then also guys got to get back to more playing two on two, um, learning how to defend. One of the things you hit on, I thought, was was been consistent throughout college basketball. You talked a lot about the dribbling, the over dribbling, uh, you know, watching James Harden, the 12 dribbles he took before he you know, made the crossover. I noticed this year the common thread among the four teams that made the final four, you know, Michigan, Loyola, you know, Kansas and, and Villanova. All those teams were really fundamental. All those teams were always on balance and they moved the ball. The ball didn't stick. I feel like I watch a lot of games and it's one ball screen and dribble, 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 dribble. How do you get those guys to play with the fluidity, the flow that I just mentioned of those four teams that are in the championship game? And I thought it was a good example for us, you know, as coaches across the country of like where we want to see our programs go, the Spurs, the Warriors, that fluidity to the offensive side of things. Because like what you just mentioned, that's not necessarily what's being practiced uh, behind the scenes and in the offseason. Well, you know, when you watch those two games, uh, I think that defensively, if there was ever a time that you try to cheat a screen, if there was ever a time that you were late, if there was ever a time that a big was late on a ball screen, you got burnt. And so that's what I think guys had a, you know, as you watch those, as you watch those, uh, those three games, I mean, as you watch those three games, um, you know, two semis in the championship of just how, you know, it, it wasn't a thought. I mean, guys, the IQ, um, the knowing of, you know, the knowing where the ball needs to go and, and when it needs to go. Um, so I think a lot of that now is I think we're focused kind of in, in, in our recruiting aspect is that um, getting high IQ guys, um, getting winning guys, guys that, you know, winning to me is a. Uh, you know, not teaching the guy to dive on the ball. That just you just know you have to do it. Not teaching the guy that hey, when you're tired and that uh, you know the rebound comes off, you know, you know, jumping, you know, block, blocking a guy out. You know, it's end of the game and you're stepping in. Uh, you know, you need this rebound. You know, you know, offensively they're coming hard to step in and get this offensive rebound. You know, I think I think now is getting back to getting guys from winning programs um, and getting guys with high IQs. And that's what I took from when you watch those four teams play. Um, it was everything they did was about winning. Uh, and it wasn't about me or being consumed in, you know, an, an I. You know, one of the other things we talked about was, uh, you mentioned earlier, was making shots and how important the three-point line now is in college basketball. It's being shot at a higher rate. It's being shot deeper. Has that affected your strategy and uh, the way that you're teaching offense or approaching your, your strategy? 
No, you know, honestly, I, I think that a lot of people talk about Golden State as far as how they've changed the game, as far as just the three balls they make. How you know, you know, you you watch you watch Steph, and he crosses the half court line and he launches, and it's all net. And I think a lot of guys, even at the young age, you know, even watching my son, um, and you know, I'm watching third grade games, and guys and kids are launching, you know, NBA threes that that, you know, are mostly air balls. Um, so just to see how, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Clay and Durant and Steph have, you know, have kind of changed even now when you look at the Rockets. Um, but I think, you know, they people are talking about moving the line back. Honestly, I don't even think you have to move the line back. I think today guys just really can't shoot. You know, um, I, so I, I think there's certain teams in in the country that are very, very good shooting teams, but I think more than uh, half the teams in the country just can't shoot. And I think it kind of goes back to, um, you know, guys just not being game ready and guys really not working on, you know, being a shooter. I think it's a it's a art. It's a it is a. Um, you know, it's a gift. And so I think, you know, to have that gift, you have to work at it. It's funny. It leads me to my next question. When you and I played college basketball, I can count on a handful of games through my career that I ever saw zone. And, and maybe the same for you guys. I mean, I think I remember Minnesota playing a zone. I mean, I know Syracuse has always done it, but now it seems like everybody's playing zone. And it seems like every year it's more and more zone. Why do you think that is, and do you think that trend's going to continue? Definitely. You know, I, I just think guys can't shoot. Most teams have a shooter or two that uh, they can really shoot the three, and after that, it's a handful of guys that, you know, it's almost you're, you're allowing them to shoot threes. Um, and so I think the zone is going to be more and more. Um, like you said, I, I think that each year, um, you know, since I've been a head coach, there's been a lot more zone played, as you said. Um, I mean, heck, we're even playing more zone. Um, and I've never, you know, I've been a man-to-man guy my whole life ever since I've been a kid. Um, but I think kind of just goes back that, that, that guys just can't shoot. And so I think that, you know, knowing on scouting reports um, and talking to, you know, and talking to players, if, if teams think that you can't shoot, then that's your job to understand. You have to take ownership. You have to take pride in that, that let me get myself in the gym and let me – you're never you're never going to play off of me. You're never you're never going to be the guy that, you know, we call it rover, you know, we're we're rover we're roving around the court. We're taking a guy off somebody and he's just kind of the guy that disrupts their offense because we're going to allow this guy when he catches it, even if he takes one dribble inside the three, we're going to allow that shot. So just don't never be the don't never let a team uh, make you be the rover guy. Well, one thing I notice watching games is twofold. One, it seems like, especially at the high, high major level, that the coaches are kind of, hey, we're going to do our little one-three-one offense, and they're almost stubborn with it. I mean, I watched that Michigan State game, and you know, Miles Bridges was never in the high post area, and they just kind of did the same thing. I thought Kansas stuck out to me because Bill Self was running different actions and putting people in the middle of that zone that are you know pretty effective. How do you feel like teams are attacking zones? Do you think that uh, that many teams are spending enough time offensively, you know, putting in sets or putting in in continuities to to break down the zone on, on the defensive side? I think I think I think the biggest thing everybody's trying to get the ball in the middle. But uh, one thing kind of goes back to two, um, you know, talking with Luke Walton and you know Steve Kerr, who's an Arizona guy. Luke and Steve talked a lot about even with Golden State how they you know start practices off and it's a lot of passing you know left hand right hand over the head chest passes bounce passes and when you think about it when you look at guys that um you know, even 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 post passes, you know, when you look around the country, how many guys can't post feed? And so I think even in the zone, not only that so much guys, you know, can't make shots, but also too, how many players can actually feed the high post? How many how many players can actually feed the short corner? Um, how many guys can make a skip pass? So I think passing too is something that I think that, you know, that 
right now at the younger age guys are struggling struggling with and so um and i don't know if it's more so iq i don't know if it's more so not being in a seat at that certain moment but passing i think is a um passing i think is a skill that guys need to have too well like it's it goes back to what you said about shooting um you maybe the shooting's down because the passing's not great i even think about our own team this year and and some of the things that when i went back and looked at the film you know the stuff that we were running worked really well it looked like you know a to b to c and then we're open but just that subtle of reaching for the ball or it not being in the pocket would delay things and allow the defense to catch up and i think in zone obviously uh, those split seconds really matter let me get you out of here on this question and i really appreciate you joining us historic basketball career um, you have your own program now it's on the rise you've got a really good team i think coming in you know you know coming back next year if you could go back to your first year as a coach and now what you've kind of seen over four years, what would you tell your first year self that you've now kind of learned from? Um, I would tell myself, uh, be more demanding um, because I think that, um, you know, demanding, I think, you know, guys, you know, you got to be able to create an environment. The guys got to demand more from themselves. And, um, you know, I, I can, I can want as much from you. Um, but I think that you got to have, you know, something that, uh, drives you, demands you to be better. Um, you know, even from, you know, going from, you know, you watch guys and they run sprints is how, you know, guys are literally one inch from touching the line. Um, but for whatever reason, you think that that let me not touch this line off this one inch, I can get back down to that end faster. But not understanding that one inch also, too, that creates um, disadvantages in games because, you know, when you hit the wall, you don't know how to fight through. Uh, you know, you're trying to cheat. Uh, you're trying to cheat a screen. You get banged on three. So I think just being more demanding as far as um, just demanding more from yourself. Well, Jason, I appreciate you joining us today. And it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to you know be down the hall from you and watch your teams develop and see uh, the improvement year in and year out. And uh, I know IUPUI fans will, will be really excited about next year's team. And I think, uh, I think the Horizon League, uh, those top teams better be ready because I think your team's uh, on the way up. And uh, again, thanks again for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me. Once again, special thanks to Jason Gardner for joining us and sharing a little bit about his journey uh, as a player and now as a basketball coach thank you to the listeners for tuning in be sure to go to itunes subscribe to the podcast parks pod and if you like it don't be afraid to rate it so thanks again listeners hope everybody has a great week 